listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You are listening to ESL Talk, a podcast made for English teachers by English teachers. Hello, and welcome to another episode of ESL Talk. I'm Faye. And I'm Daniel. We hope you enjoyed our last episode uh, all about building community, and we hope you now know where to go to find guidance and support on your teaching journey in the future. Today, we will discuss how to build your own online English course for teaching English online. And our guest, Vero, will tell us about her journey with building, creating, and maintaining an online course at the university level. Yeah, I'm excited to hear her steps and advice on uh, getting started building a course as she's someone who got a head start on a lot of us. Um, and obviously, I'd like to hear from you as well, Faye. So mm. let's get started with our episode topic today. So um, Faye, can you tell me a little bit about your experience planning, developing and building an online course? Sure. Yeah, that's actually very uh, fresh on my mind because I just launched my first online course last week. Um, I did all the registrations for the course that is starting uh, in about a week. And it was definitely a lot more work than I anticipated it being. Um, I started out with an idea. I really wanted to create a course to help uh, students at a more advanced level who are thinking of living abroad or in an English speaking country. And my idea was to provide them with those um, a real life example of language and grammar and vocabulary. So I started with this idea and it was not really something I could um, base on anything else. I didn't have any books to go from. It was mostly based on my experience as a teacher and uh, as someone who lives in an English speaking country. And so it took me a long time to plan and develop the course uh, curriculum. Um, and then basically deciding how I wanted to structure that. So I, my course is actually a mix of recorded video lessons and they're gonna be live lessons to review. And it's designed to be a four week course with a four uh, weekly live lessons as a rate of review and practice. So it's sort of a mix. And I use this platform called Thinkific that's actually from here, from Vancouver to host it. So that's also been a learning curve, you know, learning how to host and edit and 
all that. So I might've done things a bit differently if I had known what I was getting myself into. Mm-hmm. How about you, Daniel? What, what has your experience been like? Yeah, I haven't built an online course like you have just because of the time and the, the effort that it takes. Um, but it is something I'd like to do in the future um, to have all my content and material somewhere where students can access it easily. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I have done is I've built my own resources in terms of you know, slides or Word documents or um, images or, you know, interactive um, activities. So I do have courses that are separated and and with my online teaching, I do offer um, five different courses, which are all kind of planned, designed, have activities, homework, everything is all there and it can be easily kind of adjusted and and, uh, adapted for my learners. So again, a very time consuming process. And there is a plan in the future to bring all that to an online platform called genially which um i've worked on a little bit and i think if i can get it there then that's kind of the next level for me um not an online course as such but just a a hub to have all my online resources and to make them as um as engaging and as attractive as possible for my students um so can you tell me what it was that led you to developing your online course and why did you choose a course as a solution for your students um, I had been already um, putting up free content similar to my course content on Instagram, but I felt that, first of all, on Instagram, you, you, we have to do short snippets, right? So short videos. Um, they're not the format doesn't really lend itself to to a long video explaining things and getting into grammar and all that. So I felt the need to do that, um, and also that was my way to monetize my work, right? I've been creating all this free content, so I felt like I could. Uh, kind of kill the two birds with one stone doing the developing my my videos a bit more going deeper into it but also monetizing that a little bit so that was sort of the idea behind it and there seemed to be a lot of interest from students um, in, in in having something that was more in-depth like that um, but like I said maybe um, uh, what I would maybe suggest to other teachers that are starting on that like doing courses online is uh, maybe starting small would have been better doing something that was a little bit more modular or um, maybe not offering as many uh, perks with it and charging a maybe not as high a price that I charged because I mean it's definitely reasonable for the amount of content you get but it's also not accessible to everyone because we're working with international students right so I got a a good group of students actually for this first uh, try but I think yeah um, it was just a, a lot of work to a lot of effort and time invested into one thing but again this is something i can do it again right i can launch right that's what i was going to say i guess now you have it all set up and running Mm -hmm. you can kind of adapt it and modify it and you don't have to just do separate standalone classes um so hopefully now that time is in there it should be a little bit better for you exactly that should be the motivation for most of us trying to create this type of course right Mm -hmm. yeah and how do you deliver your courses without using an online system like that yeah so again it is something i want to have available in the future but um, right now, I really enjoy delivering, you know, my, my classes. Um, so my courses are done kind of periodically. So if you're a student, you will sign up for 10 or 20 or 30 classes. 
Um, and then I will structure a course based on those 10, 20 or 30 classes. So let's imagine, Faye, that you want to bring your IELTS score from a six to a seven. What we'll do is we'll have a 30 class program where we will spend time on each skill. We'll build in assessments, tests, quizzes mm -hmm. throughout that. That's in my program. Um, again, it's kind of a set schedule, but I can tweak it and modify it because I have yeah. a lot of extra stuff in there. Um, so it's not an online system because I think for you know, skill building and speaking, especially, I think having that feedback is really important and for writing yeah. as well. Um, so that's one reason why I'm a little bit hesitant to do it all online, but I do feel mm -hmm. like having an online platform as a, as a support or as a alongside the physical teaching will definitely help as well. Um, but it's just, again, very difficult to get the content. So yeah. when it comes to content, Faye, where do you find your content and, and how do you create content for your English course? Yeah. So like I said, a lot of it was based on the, the things I noticed from experience from my 14 years of teaching mm -hmm. with students. I've, I've prepped a lot of students for uh, for exams as well as speaking exams and and also a lot of business English and just seeing what the, the, the difficulties were for students. So I would basically um, think of students struggle to to say something in different ways or to communicate in a variety of ways. They usually tend to use language that's very simple that gets the point across. But then when they live abroad, they realize, oh, why can I speak that way? They, they lack that confidence. Um, so I definitely pulled from different sources um, when I was looking into what the general topics were that I wanted to, to cover. And I included vocabulary and grammar lessons in there. So for the grammar lessons, I definitely based it uh, more on grammar books, um, gear, uh, sorry, grammar books focused on exam prep that were more the level I was looking for. And that's more of sort of like a review of grammar. But the rest of the content was mostly based on my experience, really. Um, so for instance, my fir the first week of my course is how do we talk about problems? So the first lesson is when a problem first appears, what can you say? So oh, we have a situation, something has to come some up. need some help. Right? And that's like, it's usually students will say that we have a problem. That's it, right? So what are mm. other ways we can say that? So I basically just brainstormed a bunch of ideas and things, situations that students might be in, in the workplace and, and in their day-to-day -day life. And that was basically how I started. But that's what I mean. That was a lot of work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so Absolutely. yeah, maybe if you don't have all that experience, um, definitely pulling from different sources, which we've talked about in the past before, right? Yeah, pulling right. from different books and things that are already out there and just kind of like... Yeah, um, adapting it all and customizing it all. Um, yeah. Where do you find your content? Like in your case, you do more skills-based uh, teaching mm -hmm. as well, right? So yeah. did you go anywhere specifically for that? Um, again, like you've mentioned, cause I've just collected and, you know, processed and adapted so many materials over the last 10 years. Um, it's great to just have that kind of I guess that bank of resources to rely on and mm -hmm. I can kind of pull things out of there and adapt them and tweak them and modify them and just make them, you know, as, as useful for my learners as possible. So again, I don't really use textbooks as such. There might be elements or structures from a textbook that I might use. Um, but again, I don't want to kind of use textbooks alone. Um, again, there's some activities and exercises that, from textbooks that are really useful. So mm -hmm. I might use those. Um, but again, it's just depends on the course and it depends on my learners. For example, I do a, a reading course with younger students. And of course, for that, um, there are books that I use, which are kind of, you know, there for, for teaching um, that are really colorful and really easy to follow and have you know, a lot of activities with them. Um, but also when it comes to like speaking and conversation, I might find good articles um, from lots of different places. Um, so 
with students, I'll send them an article, we'll discuss the article, we'll talk about it, we'll do activities based on it, we'll look at vocabulary, grammar, but I usually base that around the student's interest or the student's mm -hmm. need. I won't just have yeah. a set article. Um, so again, we or can get catered, those. catered, right, in your case. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Because I, I don't want to teach a student who has a business, um, you know, interest. I don't want to teach them about food. Whereas mm -hmm. other students who maybe are really interested in traveling, I might want to teach them about you know, tourism or culture. So it kind of mm -hmm. depends on the student's needs, but I have the model there. I can just change the material around it. So that's kind mm -hmm. of how I adapt it. Um, so it sounds really exciting that you have this, this, you know, you developed this amazing online course and you're already getting students and, you know, it seems to be going really well. So how are you going to develop this in the future? Like what are your plans going forward and, and how are you going to build those courses yeah, I think I'm going to, uh, there are two things I'd like to do in the future. Like with this course that I just launched, I, I definitely want to launch it again in a couple of months because I like to do closed groups of enrollment um, so that I can have more, uh, give them more attention individually as well. But I would definitely launch it with the same content, but maybe uh, with different options for students. So uh, different price points as well. If you just want the recorded lessons, this is the price. If you want to have some live sessions as well, this is a little bit additional. And if you want one-to-one -one feedback, a little bit more. So that's, mm -hmm. I think, uh, where I see the current course I have going in the future. And I've also been looking more into other platforms where I can do webinars, more like one-off uh, sessions, sort of like an Instagram Live, but paid for a small fee. Because uh, this is sort of like what Kate was talking about last episode. Um, if you charge students uh, uh, something, even if it's a tiny little bit, you definitely filter out people that are just there because it's free and don't really mm -hmm. care about the content. So I definitely want to um, maybe charge a small fee just to have those people that are really serious about it and build that community more. So yeah, I think I'm th that's more what I, where I see myself going is just uh, doing more live uh, webinars and things like that in the future. Yeah. How about you? Wonderful. What are your plans? Yeah, again, like I said, I want to try to transition all my materials from slides or PowerPoints and Word documents because I kind of, you know, from the year 2000, maybe in some cases. Mm -hmm. So how do we develop those and adapt those? Because it's all about engaging learners, keeping them switched on and keeping them kind of engaged and, and kind of interested in the material. So that will be the plan. And if I can have um, a resource bank or an online platform for students alongside that, then I think the sky's the limit and lots of potential. But of course, it takes time and that yeah. takes money, which is not always in uh, endless supply. So, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, it sounds like we've both got a lot of exciting plans going forward. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited-edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.
So mm-hmm. having said that, let's now move on to the next portion of today's episode and let's bring in our guest, Firo, who's going to tell us a little bit about her experience in building, developing and planning an online English course. Hi, Vera. So great to have you here. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Thanks. Yeah, thanks, Vera. So um, I would, we're going to get started today, as we usually do, by asking our guests um, to tell us a little bit about their teaching journey and, and where you are today in your journey. Um, well, my teaching journey was a bit accidental. I don't know how many people have a similar experience. Yeah, initially I, I trained as an anthropologist um, and then um, I was doing research in the Czech Republic and just fell in love with the country and wanted to to move there. But turns out that learning Czech is, it was a very difficult progress and it took me way too much, so too much effort. So I ended up uh, teaching English at a language school because I think I kind of prepared a little bit in advance to have a backup plan, I suppose. So Mm -hmm. before moving there, I kind of did a bit of research and I thought I'll do a TEFL certificate. So I have this kind of cushion to fall on um, before I show up um, and potentially not be employed in my field of study. Um, And I was was right. Um, Anthropology was fairly, you know, Czech based and I couldn't speak it very well so I ended up getting this um, this job so it was uh, a language school called um, Schola Park shout out I don't know if anyone's <laughs> there or heard of it um, but yeah the, we were doing like um, Cambridge tests so all these FCE CAE courses very ESL based adult um, night classes and then I think I taught kind of business. Well, I taught two businesses offsite um, mm-hmm. in the mornings as well. But I really, really enjoyed it because I think anthropology was very lab based and, you know, it wasn't a lot of interaction with because I was working with human skeletons and we didn't <laughs> talk very much. And I found the classroom to be a lot more entertaining. And I thought um, they were kind of foundation students getting ready to go on to their um, bachelor studies. I was quite young. They were kind of close to my age as well. So we we gelled very well as well. After two years of that, I felt like I had this imposter syndrome where I felt mm-hmm. like the TEFL certificate wasn't quite enough. So I said I'd, I'd come to Nottingham and get my master's degree to become a real teacher. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so I did an applied linguistics and ELT uh, master's at University of Nottingham. Um, halfway through my, my master's that I was doing full time, I got employed part time at the International College across the road teaching EAP. So I kind of fell into EAP really accidentally because they really needed a teacher and I really <laughs> needed a job. Um, and I kind of learned on the job. And then since, obviously, I've kind of grown a bit more. I've, I've taken jobs at other universities and taught several EAP kind of pre-sessional programs and things like that. I've worked for University of Nottingham as well um, for the Language Center. Yeah, I've just kind of, you know, through CPDs, through talking to other people, mm-hmm. through, through research, through things like that. I just kind of slowly getting better and the little syndrome is still there. And I so think I'm it affects most of us too. Like it's, it re- resonates with our journeys as well. Mine, especially feeling like yeah. I need to, I need to really know what I'm teaching and I need to do more. Yeah. It's, yeah. I think it's a teacher thing, being perfectionist and being, having imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Our yeah, listeners definitely. can let us know if they agree, but. Um, it's a very common yeah. theme that seems to come up. 
And in, in terms of building courses, how did you how did you start that? Like, how did you fall into that okay. position? Yeah, definitely. So I think that was just a bit of a, an accident again. So I feel like I just keep falling into lucky accidents from one to another. Um, but yeah, it was just at the beginning of the pandemic um, where I've always had an interest in technology. So I can just kind of backtrack a little bit. So I've always, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's like being an elder millennial or whatever it is. <laughs> I've just kind of always felt the need to kind of bring my laptop into the classroom if we yeah. didn't have any technology there or to kind of find some sort of ways to integrate it a little bit. And then um, when it came to before the pandemic hit, I just had an interest in using Microsoft Teams to kind of create a bit better group cohesion with my students because um, I wanted them to have an online space where they could share things like what to do in Nottingham, they can organize trips together. Because I know like in the context that I taught, there were students from China, then we had Saudi students and they weren't really clicking together. Some they had, the Chinese students had their WeChat, which was the app where they would um, work together and text, but they wouldn't include the other group. So I thought mm. Teams would be a place where we could all kind of be together and be a bit more inclusive and it worked. Mm. So I thought that was that went really well because this was before any one of us had transitioned online, but I just created a little page for our, for our classroom and then it kind of spread. So other classes wanted to, to join into this thing and we created Teams for them and they were organizing trips together and posting about University of Nottingham events. And I'd kind of post things as well. We had like additional resources where we would post things to help with writing, with research and things. So we had like separate channels for different mm -hmm. purposes the word spread through the center a little bit. And then when the pandemic hit, I didn't really build the course myself. I can't take credit for that because it was a team effort, but they just kind of picked my brain about what I'd done with teams. Mm -hmm. And then um, it was me and my other colleague, Lauren Chow, who kind of took an interest in this as well. And the two of us teamed up and worked together and, and we basically helped put the center online. So it was more of a transition rather than building it from scratch. We just looked for ways to, I don't know, move online for the mm -hmm. for, in response to the pandemic. So tell me, Vera, when you were going through that process of kind of putting everything together and, and you know, putting in all the different pieces of that, what elements did you need to consider or what was the, the process in kind of deciding what we should have and what we shouldn't have in that online course? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I think a big part was kind of restructuring the course altogether because uh, we were dealing with different time zones. We were dealing with, um, you know, kind of screen time and things like that. So we, we couldn't really replicate what we were doing face-to-face -face anymore. So we had to kind of adopt a flipped learning approach. Mm -hmm. So we had to modify the materials in that way. Um, but I think that was part of it. Part of it was also understanding the technology. So I think that was very difficult because when we were creating materials, we realized that, you know, things like instructions like sharing your screen or using the chat function or posting in a mm. channel. So all of these needed restructuring because on paper, when you hand out a, a sheet of paper in the classroom, you don't really need to specify that. And so that was one element of it. Another was kind of creating separate spaces, again, for resources, for tutor support, for mm. student socialization, you know, and kind of having these separate spaces for that. So it's been a bit, I think there were so many elements to kind of put together. It was really overwhelming. Um, but again, we kind of trialed and erred and mm -hmm. somehow survived and came on top, you know, um, and, and the, 
the precessional worked and it went ahead, but it was a team effort. Like I said, yeah. it wasn't just me and Lauren. There were many other people contributing mm-hmm. on the um, on the materials. So I think that was probably the biggest. We know that yeah, you had this whole team and and you were basically moving your your content online, which really helped. But what do you think some teachers that are starting out now making their own online courses? What do you think they need to make sure they have to, to have that course be successful? Yeah, okay. So I think obviously first of all a stable internet connection. I think that's probably <laughs> the biggest thing that honestly because I think you don't realize how much bandwidth we use when we're teaching especially if you're trying to go beyond just having a conversation like video changing your background sharing your screen have a having a powerpoint any sort of like interactive apps that you can use within teams they take a lot so i think just making sure that your internet is up to speed to keep up with all of this and your laptop or technology whatever you're using to, mm-hmm. to do this um but then again kind of looking at ways to make because online classrooms are not the same as face-to-face. We all kind of have to agree with that. And some love it, some hate it, but there has to be an element, I think at least of being interactive and keeping your students engaged. So I think depending on how strict you want to be with it, I think it is important to make sure that your students have their cameras on, that you create some sort of connection with them at whatever Mm. level possible, keeping that humanity in the online classroom because Mm. I feel like sometimes it disappears. People get away with a lot, you know, kind of, oh, I'm online so I can slack off. And But it's yeah. not a distance course. It's an online course in response to a crisis. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of adapt in a way that, because it's completely new. I would argue that it's not the same online course that we would have before the pandemic. Yeah. What, what we're doing now. So maybe mm-hmm. paying attention to that would be a good idea. That's a really good point. Yeah. I think even, even when we pay for courses or we sign up for things or as part of a training course at our work or through our university, you know, we tend to sometimes, some of us, we might just go through things quite quickly. How do I do this in the quickest way possible? You know, we might not necessarily cut, cut corners, but maybe not take the time that we need to to really, you know, um, engage with the material. So mm-hmm. it's it's tricky. And I think, again, you brought up some really good points, Vera, about keeping it engaging, keeping it, you know, relevant and trying to make sure yeah. we, we think about the learner as well in that process. Um, I was just thinking related to what you just said, that it's important not to just expect our students to learn from the course, but expect us to be learners as well in terms mm-hmm. of adapting to the it's technology, mm-hmm. because there's always something coming up. And so it's kind of a race against time in a way, trying to keep up with, because if you want to learn how to, if you want to build a course online, for example, you have to kind of know about the platforms, you have Mm. to know about the features, and then you have to think about them in an educational point of view of how would you adapt these. Oftentimes, these are not developed with teaching in mind, they're developed with an IT perspective. So they need to be kind of applied in a way that is educational valuable from an educational point of view yeah that's Mm -hmm. a really good point so just on that note which platforms or which systems might be a good place to start for online english teachers because you know we we've seen in our experience and obviously you know we've worked together um and a lot of teachers are quite overwhelmed they don't know how do i do this where do i start what do i click so what could be some easy places that teachers can begin when they start building their own courses maybe i'm biased but i really like teams Um, I think Microsoft Teams, I'm not sure about Google Classroom, but I think between the two, I've used Zoom before as well. On Teams, you have a place for a classroom. 
there's spaces for uploading documents, for sharing links, for a bit more, it feels a bit more personal to me. It feels a lot more like a classroom where you would have shelves and storing things. Mm -hmm. Whereas with Zoom, I found it very difficult to share documents, to store links. You know, you can save, for example, on Teams, if somebody sends you a message, you can save the message and you can go back to it. Whereas with Zoom, once the session's closed, it just seems like it disappears or there's mm -hmm. this odd archive of text and what was shared, but it takes a lot of time to kind of go back and look for it. So it feels like Teams is better organized in that sense to create a community and a space for learning. I don't know what the advantages of Zoom are other than kind of messaging somebody privately within the same chat. I found that kind of cool. And like all these effects that they beautify you and they <laughs> put the fancy background. But Are you able that's... to do like the little the, the little breakout rooms or things on yeah, Teams so as well? Because I find that a lot of the teachers use Zoom for that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, that was a bit of a a fault in it, I suppose, um, at the beginning, because they didn't have the breakout room mm, option. Yes. But we found a way around it, where um, it turns out you can create multiple calls within a channel. Mm. So we would just organize students and we would say, your group one, start a call. We, we couldn't do the breakout sessions, but you could send them into different calls in one channel where they could interact with one another. And that was like the student autonomy where they could you could just assign somebody to take a leading role and start a call and everybody else would join. Um, now they have the feature. So I think they've stolen mm. that from Zoom, I suppose. Yes. So it, it does work um, and mm. we've used it and it, it works fine and I quite like it. I, um, I will probably use breakout rooms in 95% of my lessons because mm -hmm. I think it's a great tool. And like you said, Vero, you know, I was using Teams a year, year and a half ago, and there was a lot of things missing in it. But over time, they've gradually implemented or borrowed from other places. And now it's, you know, if you have a, you know, a course of more than five students, I would say definitely use Teams. Um, mm. Zoom's fine for one-on-one -on -one or small groups. That's okay. Um, but you'd need to back that up with something else like an LMS or a, a platform online or a website to host everything. So it can be tricky. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But I mean, uh, cheap, cheap plug here, but my upcoming book, which is almost out, talks about mm -hmm. the advantages and disadvantages of Zoom, Teams, Google Classrooms, and mm -hmm. so on. So I've actually looked at this in quite a lot of uh, detail, which is, which is great. So I'd yeah. love to proofread that chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Yeah. And then I definitely love to read the book when it comes out. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> so Vera, what would you say are the most time consuming elements of, of building a course that teachers should be aware of? And, you know, if they're independent teachers or they teach for themselves, what kind of costs could they expect? Right. I think it could be a little bit expensive depending on your budget. I suppose, you know, kind of your idea of poor and rich is very different depending on how much you earn. But um, I I had to buy a laptop, for example, because my old one just could not keep up anymore. And technology kind of moves quite quickly. You can do a lot with quite a little bit. So I don't think you need to invest like tens of thousands of pounds into a system. But as long as you have for example, if you want to go with Teams, the Microsoft Office package is, is quite handy because then if you have Microsoft Office, you can then have access to Teams, Outlook, all, the, all these features that comes with it. So I'm not sure how much that costs in terms of the, the online package to buy. Um, a good laptop, internet connection. I think these are some basic things that would be enough to work with. I know some teachers would prefer to have like a good microphone and a good headset and things like that. If you kind of in time and your budget allows it, I think that would definitely make your course better. Um, there's also all sorts of like additional platforms that you can integrate within Teams. So there's ways that you can add, you know, 
other features like I know we've done um, Kahoots and I've used like things like Nearpod, which is another platform where you can yeah. do little activities. So if those you want to kind of want to invest in that to have the license so you can depend how depending how big you want to go, that might be an option. Um, but I think overall, as long as you can have like a decent broadband system and and a computer, I I, I think and obviously the package so the license for zoom or teams mm -hmm. to use it yeah. and then kind of go from there there's loads of free resources online what would you say are the most time consuming elements what what took you and your colleague the longest amount of time to put everything on where you thought like i did not expect that to take 3 days yeah i think i think it's just really finding ways to to fit a technology in a context of education so how do we adapt this to make it adequate for a classroom. So things like, you know, adapting the materials in terms of, you know, if we don't have breakout rooms, how do we organize this? If we don't have, um, I don't know, how to share your screen and things like that, how do we train people to do this? Because obviously certain teachers didn't have the knowledge or they didn't have the need before. So then, you know, training them. So I think things like that, and there were things that would be we didn't realize at the beginning and then we would hit a wall and then we'd go back and say, oh, okay, we figured out that, for example, this doesn't work. So, and or that there are limitations to certain things. So it's, so. it's kind of a troubleshooting process, right? A trial and error Definitely. to some extent? No, I mean, what I wanted to say is that we, we struggled at the beginning because we didn't, we were not IT people. We were just teachers trying to sort this out. Later mm -hmm. in the term, we actually got IT support um, and these people came in and said, oh, actually, you've done quite a lot to know, like, given the amount of knowledge you had. And then once we had their support, we could actually go a bit forward and say, uh, you know, this is, there's an issue with SharePoint, which is related to Teams, which then causes this issue in terms mm -hmm. of, you know, organizing our documents and whatever. Can you help us fix it? And then they would tell us what it is because they had the knowledge. Yeah. And it was something internal from the system that we didn't know about. Um, whereas other times I think he was just like, uh, Daniel said, troubleshooting yeah. where we just had to kind of learn that, you know, guest accounts have limitations. So if, if yeah. you're going to guest account, you can't do certain things on teams because you don't have the license and you won't allow it. So like, oh, okay, how do we find a way around this? Then what can we do to make it better or to yeah. make it as seamless as with, um, with a regular account? Mm -hmm. yeah. I was going to ask you, Faye, just from your experience, because mm -hmm. obviously you've just recently, or you're in the process of, and you have built a course yeah. as a kind of solo independent teacher. So kind of what were the, what was the process like for you? What issues did you face? What, what kind of costs did you Yeah, expect? mine is a bit, it's a bit different from uh, Vero's um, um, experience, because mostly your courses, from what I understand, are more like a live lesson online, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. In my case, it's sort of a blended course. So I have the recorded videos, the recorded mm -hmm. lessons that students can go through. And then we have a weekly live lesson to go over questions and to do some practice. Um, so for me, in my case, definitely the hardest thing was learning video editing, uh, you know, creating all the, the accompanying PDFs and hosting them online on the platform and creating like just making use of all the features that the platform I use has. Uh, now for the like when I do the live lessons, as you were talking about all the features of Teams and all that, I'm not probably not going to be using all those features because the students already have the PDFs, they've already done the practice. Mm -hmm. So there is a, like you said, there's a lot of flipped learning happening because they have to do mm -hmm. all the learning on their own first. Yeah. But in my case, it was more 
but it, what you said resonated as well. It's more about learning the technology and learning what can and cannot be done. And everything you do for the first time takes longer, right? Definitely. Yeah. Like, I mean, now that you've said it, I relate to that as well, kind of looking at, you know, because I had no idea how we had to do a lot of recordings for teacher training um, mm -hmm. and for students as well. And I had no idea how to edit them, like screen recordings, things like that. You had to just start from scratch. And yeah. I still, I, I just keep it very basic because I don't have the skills or the patience yeah, or yeah. the time to, to, to video edit. So I just try to, I just try to do it in one take and then I go over it over and over until I do it in one take. So I suppose that kind of is time consuming because you have to keep rehearsing and yeah. make sure that, and talking to yourself is weird. Oh yeah. Yeah. And after you've said something like 50 times, it starts in your head, it starts to sound so unnatural and you start to second guess everything. And then the imposter syndrome kicks in again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but now just to kind of wrap things up, um, having done all that and going through all that, what advice would you give to online English teachers who are just getting started teaching online in 2021? Yeah, um, I think the first thing is be brave. Um, I think because a lot of people tend to be intimidated by technology and just kind of say, oh, if it's online, I'm not going to do it. Mm -hmm. um, there's so many free resources, like I said, online, there's YouTube videos, there's loads of Microsoft resources as well, if you do choose to go the Teams way mm -hmm. um, available. Be curious, I think that will be another thing. Um, mm -hmm. Because again, be be keen to learn and, and kind of try to, this is a bit of a difficult thing, I think, because there's an issue of time and, and um, availability, but we kind of have to keep ahead of the game, you know, so kind of always look out for what updates are coming up, what things are available, because oftentimes I would turn on teams and you would just look different. And I would have mm. what happened? I had no idea what, what was going on, but they do have a page where they kind of say, oh, we're updating on so-and-so date, watch out for this. And then at least if you kind of know you're ready for it, but you also know how to adapt your lessons and your plan or your course to fit mm -hmm. what's coming and back things up. I suppose that as well for <laughs> online is, is always, always vital, save things, put them, yeah. put them aside. It's easy to lose things. Mm -hmm. So keeping organized as we would to face to face, I think it's important to have like a, a digital tidying of our of our materials to make yeah. sure that we we've we've lost it. some recordings and, and yeah. interviews in the past. So it happens. So, yeah, just to try to learn from it. And I guess Absolutely. learning to fail is a, a huge thing and, and not being intimidated by by making mistakes and getting things wrong. I mean, teaching live classes, sometimes I, I might mess something up or get something wrong, mm -hmm. but we laugh about it and we say, well, it's, it's a learning opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but we have to practice what we preach because I always tell my students, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Don't Absolutely. be afraid to get out of your comfort zone and do something else. So then mm -hmm. in the same, same vein, as a teachers, we should probably follow through with our advice and, you know, be brave and do find resources and information. And I think these days with technology, I suppose, it can be a bit intimidating, but once you kind of get the hang of it, they're quite intuitive, these things. So nothing bad can happen at the click of a button, I suppose. I don't know. Don't Maybe, maybe some words. bad things can happen. <laughs> maybe some bad things can happen. But like, as long as you don't put your card information and security number and things like that, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Like, by clicking a YouTube video, it just takes you to a new one, you know, so you might just find something new to learn. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely bring some new challenges that we have to kind of be aware of going forward. Um, the major thing right now for me is about privacy, about students sharing each other's email addresses and phone numbers, mm-hmm. which might seem innocent, but that has a lot of implications as well. So definitely, definitely. lots of things to think about. Great. Well, that was all really great to hear. Lots of really uh, practical advice there. Thank you so much for that, Vera. Thank you for listening and asking me to be here. <laughs> Alrighty, thank you so much for joining us today, Vero. And thank you everyone for listening to our episode today. Yeah, and remember to subscribe to receive the latest episodes each Wednesday. You can follow us on Instagram at ESL Talk Podcast, or you can send us an email to eslTalkPodcast at gmail.com. And you can also uh, find me on Instagram at Learning with Faye. Faye is F-E-Y. Or at I'm Daniel Teacher. Uh, that's all we have time for this week. Be sure to join us again next week for another new episode of ESL Talk. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for new episodes and to follow us on Instagram and Facebook for even more ESL teaching content. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe for even more ESL teaching content.